Hello and welcome to Greater Than Code, episode 264. I'm John Sowers, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm here with Shante Thurmond. Hey everyone, my pronouns are she, her, and Aya, and I'm here today with Jamie Hampton. Thanks Shante, uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I'd like to also introduce Tim Banks. Hey everybody, my pronouns are he, him, and I would like to introduce today's guest, Paris Athena. Hey everyone, I'm Paris Athena. My pronouns are she, her. I'm founder and CEO of Black Tech Pipeline and creator of the hashtag movement and community Black Tech Twitter. Welcome to the show. We're going to start off with the question that we ask every guest that we have. Uh, what is your superpower and how did you acquire it? This is such a downer because I really don't know. I don't have one. I don't have a superpower, I don't think. Just because you don't know does not mean you that you don't have one. One of them that I think is obvious to me when I found you on Twitter was your ability to see the problem, see the opportunity, and obviously to find the talent. So those are like three clear, distinct talents you got there. Yeah. Okay. I didn't consider them superpowers, but we can definitely go with that. Sure. I would say it was interesting to me because, you know, Paris and I don't interact very often on Twitter, but I've been a follower and a fan for a while. And the one thing that I've noticed about you is that you're always unapologetically yourself, right? And I think that is a huge thing that cannot be underestimated because your ability to do these things and your ability to inspire and empower others is because you first inspire and empower yourself. And that's something that, you know, myself as, as a black man, especially as a black woman, we don't see that a lot. Uh, and we and we don't see that a lot in a way that uplifts others as well. So I've always been super, super impressed with your ability to do that and to do it unapologetically and to stand there, you know, against all the people that level hate at all of us, just to be there, complete yourself and let it go off. So always been inspired by that. And I don't think you should underestimate that as a superpower. Thank you. See, I didn't consider these things superpowers, but I guess now I do. <laughs> There you go. Thank you. You're making me realize things about myself. Oh, yeah. That's one thing. We'll tell you about yourself, whether it's good or bad. We'll tell you about yourself. I love it. I love to hear the feedback. The other thing you might want to do now is like we can ask Black Tech Twitter what they think your superpowers are. I'm sure that they'll give you lots, oh <laughs> lots of insights of you know interacting with you over the last few years. Yeah. I think the whole like saying kind of what I want to say no matter what will probably be like a big one. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I like doing that. I guess I don't mind losing opportunities because I wanted to be honest. Like it just is what it is. But I feel like I've always been that way. Maybe because like I, I've been bullied for so many years, and I'm just like one day I just had it. I was like, you know what? I'm fed up. Like I'm done. Like trying to like appease people, um, and I didn't care if I didn't have any friends or whatever. I was like, you know, I'm tired of being a pushover. And like from there, I've just always been very like vocal and transparent. Ah, there it is. It's like that. It's like the superhero, the the wound that turns into your superpower. Yeah, <laughs> some people would say that. So other people would be like, "Oh, that's my like villain origin story." But I don't know. <laughs> I was at a point, and I was like, "All right, like I'm done. This is just whatever." See, I always thought that was interesting because the the quote unquote villains or heroes, any any character in a story, is most sympathetic when you understand where you're coming from, right? It's interesting that we talk about the villain origin story, right? Because like my favorite villains, right, would be heroes in a different setting, right? Like you take like Magneto. And I take Magneto because because you know for me the X-Men X-Men comic books for those of you who don't follow has always been about civil rights. 
yeah. from the get-go. Always about civil rights, always about uh, the marginalized, and always about the people who are different. Sometimes they're different in ways that you can't tell, and sometimes they're different in very, very obvious ways. And I think that I always spoke to marginalized folks because some of those mutants had powers that you wouldn't know by looking at them. And so some people have are marginalized in ways where they're neurodivergent, where they have disabilities that you can't see, and some of them are very, very obvious about what they are. But the thing that made them, the big thing that made the villains sympathetic is you understood why they did what they did. You may not have agreed with the methodology, but you could understand and were sympathetic to those causes. Like, like I said, Magneto from the X-Men was a great one. And the heroes oftentimes had to endure the same kinds of problems that the villains did, but they went about it by a different approach. And I think that's what makes a real big difference in our society today. It's not that whether folks are marginalized or not. It's not whether folks have been bullied or anything like that. It's how they choose to use that experience to go forward from that. Right. And so people who have those kinds of experiences have it. And it says, yeah, it's a choice. You know, people can simplify it or oversimplify it by saying, oh, well, they just had a choice to do good or bad. It's like, no, it's never that easy. Mm-hmm. It's never that easy. Like in the right circumstances, all of us would probably do something that we would consider in the privilege that we do enjoy now, bad or wrong, or whatever. But it was a thing that was necessary at the time. So I think we as folks, especially as, as black people, or other marginalized folks in this industry, is we need to be able to look back and, and to reach down and pull folks up and say, hey, all right, there's a different way to go about it. Because sometimes they just don't know that they have options. And that's why it's important for us to inspire and empower folks to do that. Yeah, and I think it always, I feel like there's always that argument of like, yes, there is this problem, but the way you're going about solving it is not okay. But that's that's one perspective. And then there's another perspective, right? And at the end of the day, you're like, who's really right? Who's really wrong? And it's like that type of war, you know, it's hard. Yeah. We don't, we don't live in an actual right slash wrong, like very, very black. Mm-hmm. Thing. <clears throat> one of the things I like about not to delve too far into it. One of the things I always liked about some of the Sergio Maticone movies, the, the spaghetti Westerns was that they were never really heroes. Everybody was just shades of gray. And it's like, did they do the right thing this time? Yeah. They may have been despicable people, but they did the right thing. And I see that we see that when we look through our history, regardless who it is. Everybody's got every, you know, every quote unquote hero has got some darkness to them. Some they didn't do everything right. And that's all of us, right? None of us has ever done everything right. You know, it's just a matter of what, what is our aggregate. And so we always try and do the best we can. But like I said, it, not to steal a spotlight, so I apologize for going off on this. But I, one of the things I've always looked at you, Paris, for is because you never claim to be always right. Right. You never have said I, everything I do is right or you follow me like that. It's always like, hey, look, I'm just doing the best I can. When we are very open and transparent about that and vulnerable about that, that's what's inspiring. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You brought up superheroes. I guess he's, he says he's not a hero or a villain, which is why I love him so much. But Deadpool, like I absolutely love Deadpool because he doesn't claim one or the other. He's like, I'm a guy making my own decisions. And that's that. Right. And I love that because like, you're not asking people to side with you. You're kind of just like this one person and you're going about life the way you want to do it and, or go about things. I feel like that's just sort of what I do. I don't want to, I'm just doing what I do and like it or not. I don't know. Like, you know, I don't want to claim to be a, a role model or like you said, like that I'm always right. Cause I'm not, I'm just, I'm a human. And that's that. Paris, I'd love to like take that as our kind of cue to ask you, Let's talk about what you what you do, how you started Black Tech Twitter and the Black Tech 
pipeline. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what inspired you, what you were going through at that moment, and sort of give us the you know high level overview of like where you've come from and where you are now. I'll start off with like the like Black Tech Twitter. So I got onto Twitter in September or August of 2018 because I had just been laid off from my first job as a software engineer, and I wanted to just talk about my journey finding a new role. And when I got on there, that's when I noticed that there was a really small community of Black technologists. And up until that point, first of all, I was new to tech, so it's not like I really knew the industry. But also, I never worked with anyone who looked like me since I entered the industry. And so when I saw that there was like a community, I was excited about it. And so one day I just posted a tweet asking, you know, what does Black Twitter and tech look like? I wasn't trying to start anything. Like I didn't even have like followers. So I, I just posted a tweet. That was it. And then that tweet just ended up taking off and it gained so much traction. And I didn't expect that. And like black technologists from all over the world posted themselves into that tweet and it just created that really long thread with their pictures and captions of what they do in the industry. And overnight, it really formed this movement community and hashtag black tech Twitter. Again, that's not that was not my intention. It just kind of happened. Black tech pipeline then also fell into my lap pretty much just because from that tweet and the traction that it gained, all of these employers were DMing me on Twitter. Like it's it was like weird to have like all these really big name companies just in my Twitter DMs. I'm like, oh wow, like I see all this time. That's so cool. And they're like, you know, hey, you saw that, you know, there's no pipeline problem. You brought exposure to this community. If you want to hire people, can you send us candidates? Now I wasn't like a recruiter at all. I didn't have recruiting experience. I didn't know what to do, but I, I was just like, you're just connecting people. It's not that hard. So what I did was I created a Discord community. I moved like a lot of the members from Twitter into there. And that's what I used to like ask people like, Hey, are you looking for work? I'm working with this employer. I wasn't actually working with anyone in terms of like having a contract. I was like helping people for free. (laughs) So I was like, Hey, let me connect you to like this guy at Amazon, this guy at Google, this guy at Etsy. Like, like that's just what it was. And so I was connecting people just like that and people were getting jobs. And so it was working, but I formed like this entity black tech pipeline after a lot of the candidates that I recruited, I'm doing air quotes for people who can't see me, recruited into these companies. I started Black Tech Pipeline because they came back to me and let me know that they left the companies that I recruited them into. And so when I asked why, it was like the typical, just like they weren't actually like inclusive. It was very performative. It was a negative environment. They didn't really have any goals for me. It's like I was a diversity hire. And so I felt horrible because I didn't vet these companies. I just like was like, yeah, sure, I'll bring you candidates. And that was it. Right. And so I felt horrible about that, especially like being a black woman and enduring so much negativity within within the industry. And so I was like, you know, if I'm going to do this type of work, then I want to do it right. And so I formed Black Tech Pipeline and I created this recruitment model, which was inspired by my boot camp sort of like model. You know, anytime someone got hired from Black Tech Pipeline, I would stay on the job with them for 90 days. Um, and that meant I would do biweekly virtual check-ins with those hires just to ask, you know, hey, how's it going? What's your experience been like? Do you have the tools and resources that you need? Those hires would give me feedback on their experience and I take that feedback and relay it to the employer. And so it was like this feedback loop for 90 days to ensure that everyone's being set up for success. They have what they need and they're happy and healthy in their environment. And then I eventually launched a job board. Yeah, that just, I mean, I remember actually when you started off this conversation because I was, I was a headhunter at the time 
and looking for tech talent. And so I stayed and I followed and watched and I was like so excited. One of the things that as you were telling back that story, but I remember now that you're kind of retelling it, initially I was like, I love what Paris is doing. It's very organic. It's real. It's needed. It's an opportunity that had been long overlooked. And I was so grateful that you were kind of just building this movement. But I was also like a little sad that you weren't necessarily getting paid. I know it was like a labor of love, but I felt like all of a sudden people started coming to you. Like I, I remember like, you know, just all this activity. And I was like, dang, like that's a lot to take on. And as a person in, in this industry too, like I feel like I'm oftentimes like, let me go help you. I take on this role of being like a black woman caretaker or of like my community. I feel like I have this like obligation to look out for people which I think is pretty common in our black community specifically, but it just feels like you get to you this problem that was like so pervasive to technology and and quite frankly to a lot of other industries became now this the responsibility of you. People were like, hey, can you? Uh, they're sliding into your DMs and they're like, hey, can you connect us with talent? And then the fact that they didn't say and let us compensate you equitably for the labor that you are doing on our behalf that we don't even have the capacity to do or to maintain, sustain. So just want to like say, I hope that, you know, now as you're getting into this work and and understanding the game of it, the business and the the economic model that you are charging what you're worth, you know, on behalf of doing this labor. Yeah, that so that wasn't even when I thought about that later on, I did it for free for two years. Like I, I wasn't thinking about it then. But now that I think about like, wow, I really like build these companies up with black technologists and they didn't, no one offered to pay me at all. Like no one mentioned money at all. And I'm like, that's performative within itself. Like I, like I had to really think about that and it made me upset. And I've actually even had a few of those companies come back to me after I like launched black tech pipeline and they expected work for free again. And I was like, you know, it just kind of gives me insight into like, who's like, you know, who's just here for the check the box and who's not. And I mean, I've, I've had tons of different experiences. I've, I've even had companies, like I said, I do that recruitment model where I stay on the job with people for 90 days. I've even had companies offer to pay me more money to not stay on the job with the hires and just place them. And I was like, that's not, no, like, that's mandatory. I have to stay on the job. Yeah, red flag. Right. And I ended up not working with them anyway. But I'm, I'm, it's just like you get to, so much is revealed in this work, you know? And it's frustrating. It's like emotional all the time. I think there's a, the that kind of underlies the whole problem of around you know diversity and inclusion in tech is that companies are willing to do it as long as they're not out anything, but as soon as they have to make an investment, mm-hmm. that's going to determine whether or not they see the value in it. And so, if someone else is going to do the work, if someone else is going to do the labor of getting the talent to them, they don't have to pay nothing for it. Great. Well, that's just easy. But mm-hmm. when you tell them they actually have to invest in that, that's when they balk. Right. Because it's not actually worth anything to them to them. And the companies that will pay or offer to pay, the companies that will pay black speakers, the companies that will pay black talent, equivalent to the other ones, the companies that will pay to go and look for talent, you know, out of out of marginalized folks, those are the ones they may not do always do it right, but they're doing it better than the ones that just will right. will we, you know, if we happen upon some inclusivity, great. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. One thing you said earlier when we were talking about your superpower of saying what you mean all the time was that you're like not afraid to lose opportunities because of like 
the things you say and stuff. And I thought that that was really interesting because like folks from marginalized backgrounds, like have to think about what they're doing and if it's going to lose them opportunities in a way that other people don't have to think about. And so I guess I was kind of wondering like what your feelings are about that. Like, I know I've talked about this with people in my network and the way I feel about like, if a company doesn't want to work with me or an opportunity like wants to overlook me because of like this, this or that about myself, then maybe I didn't want to work with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm wondering like what your philosophy is on that and like how you came to that conclusion about it. Yeah. So for me, I do not judge. So I've had a few candidates who they got hired at Google and they, but they were scared to announce it because of all of these issues with Google internally when it comes to black and their black and brown hires. And I was like, no, like you got hired at Google. Like that's a big deal. Say it. Like I know like Google has issues. Trust me, even the smallest businesses have these issues. And I don't think it's something we can actually escape, but you accomplished something. You got something that you wanted. You should be proud of that. So say it. That doesn't mean that you're here like claiming like, oh, Google is the gods of technology. Like, no, but you, you know, you got hired at your dream job and that's great. Announce that. For me, like there are certain things I wouldn't do and but that's just me you know and I'm personally I like I said I'm not scared to lose opportunities and I think that's because I'm so angry and I'm fed up and I'm tired of needing to think of something before I say it when people in privilege they can they can just say whatever they want you know with no repercussions I mean I understand that um, other people aren't like that and that's totally fine if you don't want to say something because you're scared you might lose opportunity then don't say it I would hate for someone to be like you know what let me try this and then like they can't sleep that night because like you know, they didn't really want to do it, but felt pressured to like, don't, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you want to, then do it, you know, but I'm not going to judge you based off of that. You do what you want. Yeah. I think a a number of times on the show, you know, we've talked about companies that have less than stellar reputations for the way they, they treat their people, you know, places like Shopify and Google and pretty much like you said, any, any company is going to have some sort of issues like that. And that, you know, some people have the privilege and, and, the, and the place where they can, you know, quit that job, you know, on principle based on that sort of thing. But like, we, we also don't want to criticize the people that, that have to stay there that like that they need that job. Like they don't feel like they could just pick up the next one immediately. And it's, and so you can criticize the company and all the things, but you, you know, we want to separate that from criticizing individual workers who are, who, you know, are working that job. Um, you know, like you said, you, you're, you got to be proud of getting a job at Google. That's a hard thing to do. That's something you should be proud of, regardless of what other crap they're doing in their other departments or at various levels. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like the only people I criticize are the employers themselves, because you're the one making the, the policies. You're the one making these rules and these changes. And if they're not, if they're only benefiting you or the people, you know, in power and people in privilege, then I have no problem just roasting you. That's fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. You still make your money. The way I kind of see it sometimes when like someone that I care about takes a job with like a company like Google is a good example where I'm like, like I have this simultaneously, like I'm really happy for you that you like accomplished this big thing. And like, it's not that I'm judging people, but like also I'm a little worried for you. Like I hope that that works out for you. (laughs) Yeah. Same, same. I feel that way too all the time, but I don't, I don't tell them that. <laughs> but like, I don't want to like rain on your parade, but in the back of my mind, I'm definitely like, God, I really hope they do have like a really good experience, you know? And if not, at least you got Google on your resume. You can kind of go somewhere else. But yeah, I try not to rain on anyone's parade. I, I think my negative thoughts, but you know, outward, I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Congrats. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah. And as you all were talking, it kind of reminds me too. I think I, for the last few days or week, I've seen some pieces around the great resignation and just people having privilege to quit their job and what that means about like your social location and your circumstances. Many times the people who have the privilege to quit are folks who have other things, you know, in the pipeline or, or other means to cover, you know, their expenses and their, or just the cost of living, or they have like opportunities galore. And I'm just curious if you've had any conversations with folks about that in the, in the past several weeks or months, given all the things we've seen with COVID and just how the economy has been playing out. No, people are not. Well, this, this is only true for me in the conversations I've had. No, people are not leaving their jobs without having another one lined up just because it's not like you need the money, right? You still have to pay your bills, whether you have a job or not. So no, they're staying and it sucks that you have to stay in a toxic situation. Like it sucks. That's just what you have to do. And yeah, like that's kind of just what I'm seeing. And I let them know, like, obviously I'll help you out. Like I have a job board. I, you know, I'm connected to all these employers. I'll help you as much as I can. I also don't even encourage them. I'm like, unless you want to quit, then go ahead and do that. And, you know, I'll help you as much as I can. Otherwise, like, yes, I understand at the end of the day, things still need to be paid. You have to put food on the table and regardless of what your situation is, you know, just kind of hold out for as long as you can. It sucks. Like it's, it's like being between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard, especially I feel like what I've seen is folks who have taken the plunge and broken into tech. They're like, well, I worked so hard to get here. You think I'm just going to quit? Like yeah. there's a lot of hype with my tech team right now to quit. And they're like the stuff that happened at Netflix, people were getting, you know, it was a lot of hype. And it's like, yeah, that's great that people can quit and walk out and do whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who just absolutely cannot. And they are, they want to fight. They want to be in solidarity with their coworkers on things, but they might not have the privilege you know, or ability to, to really do that in such a way. It's not just performative. It's like, this is their livelihood too. It doesn't mean that they're not in solidarity. Yeah. No, I, so, haven't, I haven't talked to anyone who's felt comfortable enough to literally just up and quit because they're angry right. about something. Like for them, they yeah. just got to deal with it. It just, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. I think too, there's a certain amount of almost protest or hate working, right? Where it's like, I know, I know some folks who were civil servants work for federal or state governments that, they detest it, and especially like, especially our parents' generations, like baby boomers. They worked for the federal government, even though the federal government was doing them dirty. They were still going to get their money. They were going to get paid. They were going to use this government that they couldn't stand to set them up. They were going to take them for all their work. And I think there's a lot of that sentiment too among black tech workers. Like, look, this company may be treating me wrong, but I'm going to soak them. I'm going to get every penny and dime I can out of these people. And when I'm driving around in my Jaguar and going on vacation, they can eat it. When I buy that house, when I have something to leave my kids, that is what I'm doing this for. They can detest the company. And you see them every day. They get home. They're like, man, look, I'm just trying to get this paycheck, dog. Right? Right. And that legit. That is a very legitimate reason. Like I've worked for companies that I whose ethics I didn't necessarily agree with. But you know what? When I came home and I was driving a nice car and had a big house and my kids get fed, I'm like, look, man, that's. That's all I'm here for, right? And that's especially for marginalized folks, especially folks that don't have generational wealth. Never mind the actual privilege of being able to quit myself. But when you are set up with generational wealth and you know have something to leave the next generation, it's a whole different story than this is my opportunity for generational wealth. This money that I am making, it's a lot and I can hate the fucking company, 
But you know what? When I have something to leave my progeny, right? That's what I'm here for. Uh, yes, that brings, you know, I, I cannot stand when people are like, if you're not here for passion, you're not going to last. You have to do it because you're passionate. It's like maybe for you. Okay. At like, I think this is like really for marginalized communities, but we don't have the luxury of doing something for passion. I'm, I'm passionate about acting. I wish my mom could take care of my bills while I'm out chasing my dreams, but that can't happen for me. Like I have to like work a nine to five, work on my little skits afterwards. Like that's the reality of my life. For me, I can't just quit this company because unfortunately, even if like they're just like a terrible company, I can't just up and quit because I have bills to pay. I have a child to feed. I have family to take care of. I don't have that privilege, you know? And so I think, especially just Black people, we're so used to just living like this. Like, this is just our reality every day. We have to deal with the way the world is and then and still, like, grow and thrive. And so just going into a company and dealing with that is nothing new for us. Yeah, real talk. And I mean, I, I really appreciate you all talking about this because... Like I actually faced the same situation not too long ago where I was, I had two jobs and I'm like, people were like, Oh wow, it must be nice. I'm like, must be nice. You think I'm working two jobs because it's a luxury, yo? Like it's actually because I'm making up for lost ground and for time. And this is equitable. This is reparations. Like I have to, in order to actually have a, a savings account, I have to have two jobs to be able to help my family during COVID. Are you tripping? Like, and so I, I got to the point where I actually did need to make a decision because it was so unhealthy. I was getting so sick at work and I lost my dad. Suddenly he got really sick. And so like, then that kind of forced me, the life circumstances forced me, but I was ready and committed to work two jobs just because like my parents both have always worked more than one job. They always have multiple incomes. That's all I know. That's right. all I know. And it's interesting you know, seeing some of this play out in technology. And what I noticed was as I got into more technologically advanced or like, you know, well-funded companies and stuff and talking to people, they're like, you can just quit. I'm like, what are you talking about? That is not my reality. Right. Yeah. It's funny that people talk about, you know, the hustle culture or whatever, you know, having this and having that, having this thing on the side, like, look, black people have been doing this from the jump, from the get go. We've been having two, three jobs. We had a side hustle. We've been doing this. We're doing that on the side. We have been doing that forever because that's what we, number, number one, we had to do that, mm -hmm. right? And then second of all, if we wanted to have anything more than the basics, that's what we needed to do. Both my parents worked two jobs. I had two jobs from the time I was 16 to the time I was 35. I had two jobs. And that was like my present to me was when I made enough that I could only have one job. And I was like, man, I can like see my kids and stuff like that. Like it's crazy, right? But that thing is the thing, the, the thing that people say, oh, well now you can do things like that. That has how our existence has been for a long time, for a long, long time. And that's not new to us. So for us, it is a privilege. It's, for us, it's a privilege to just have one job. Never mind to be able to quit that job. People say, oh, I'm going to go on and fund employment. I'm going to take a few months off to figure out what I want to do. Like that doesn't register with me. That is not something I could ever do comfortably. That's not everyone going to see me do. Like unless you're going to pay me to be gone. I can't just go, yeah, like, oh, when people say, oh, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go take a vacation to Europe and then I'm going to come back in six months. I'm like, bro, that is not a world in which I live. Sounds amazing though. <laughs> it does. It sounds, I, I love that for you. I wish I could do that. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat discussing tech topics big, small, and strange. 
Compiler unravels industry topics, trends, and the things you've always wanted to know about tech through interviews with the people who know it best. On their show, you will hear a chorus of perspectives from the diverse communities behind the code. Compiler brings together a curious team of Red Hatters to tackle big questions in tech, like what is technical debt? What are tech hiring managers actually looking for? And do you have to know how to code to get started in open source? I checked out the Should Managers Code episode of Compiler, and I thought it was interesting how the hosts spoke with Red Hatters who are vocal about what role, if any, that managers should have in code bases and why they often fight to keep their hands on keys for as long as they can. Listen to Compiler on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Our thanks to Compiler for their support. So I guess, Paris, I want to know, when you when it gets to a point where you get in demand, where people want to hire, hire not just your company, when they want to, I want to hire Paris Athena to work for my company, what role are you going to work? What role do you want to be in? Now, that's hard because I do Black Tech Pipeline full time. And I'm always like, if this doesn't work out, sometimes I'm like, I feel like I should be like in a DEI role, but then I don't want to because I know what DEI officers go through working at one company and it's just like a shit show. It's really hard. And sometimes like, maybe I'll just leave this industry altogether. I don't know. Cause I, I don't want to be a software engineer anymore. I think I'd start over and be um, a UX designer. Probably start like literally just start over as a junior learn UX design. Tell us more about that, because that, that was actually a question I had. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? So tell me more about like why UX design instead of software engineering. So I'm a person who loves research like a lot, especially like with UX design, I just think it's cool. Like you're really thinking about like such intricate things to make sure someone's having a good experience and you're thinking of like all these different communities, especially the very vulnerable communities. Like I love that. And you're using that to like build a product that people are going to use, whether it's like a digital product or a physical product. I think that's amazing. And I think it also makes you more empathetic and aware of things. And I love that. I just think there's like a lot of opportunity to grow as a human. I just really love, I love UX design. And so, yeah, I would get into that. And, and what is it about software that you're moving away from? Software engineering is not fun to me when I'm doing it for work but it's fun if I have a personal project. When I learned to code, I started coding my own, like I thought I was gonna, I thought I was building this app that was gonna make me a billionaire. And so I loved coming home from work and building it every day. It was a React Native application. Turns out like, like now that I think about it, it probably wouldn't make me money at all. The social media platforms would have killed me early, so whatever. But back then I thought it was like this golden egg idea and it just had me excited. But doing it for work, nine to five, I just didn't enjoy it. And that could have been because of the companies I was at or the mentorship that I lacked. I don't know. It could have been a whole bunch of different reasons, but I never really had a good experience coding for work. And then honestly, if I could snap my fingers all together and be literally anything I wanted, I would definitely like work on set of movie films. I wouldn't have to be an actor or anything. Like I would really enjoy like pulling curtains if I had to. Like I just like on set and watching everything come to life. It's like this feeling I can't describe. It makes me very, very happy. I would probably do that too. I think that's interesting. There's a, that part 
so many people I know have similar things like that. Whether oh, it's really? like, I want to do lighting, whether it's I want to do the board. For me, I want to be a Foley artist. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, a Foley artist is, is like when you have a scene where somebody is like walking through gravel. Well, they don't actually have a microphone at the feet that puts walking through gravel. They have somebody out there who's taking like a block and smashing it in gravel and pace where they walk. Like, so they make those sounds. Like That's what the Foley artist does, right? But oh, so cool. many people in tech that I know that are like, that have super like kind of diverse sets of interests always come back to that portion of working behind the scenes yeah. to make something that's very visible and people enjoy, like whether it's music or whether it's movies, that kind of same version of things. That's, that's, that's real. I love that answer. And I think it's really cool. That's so interesting. I didn't even know that. I feel like, you know, it's funny. A lot of software engineers that I've met, they didn't start off wanting to be a software engineer. They did start off with like going to art school and stuff. I'm yeah. like, mm-hmm. what happened? Yeah. I went to art school. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm a musician by trade. Like I started off when I joined the Marine Corps. I joined the Marine Corps to be a musician. I play a bunch oh, of. Oh wow! And it's uh, really interesting, right? Yeah. What what happened? Yeah, that's a story you don't hear every day. <laughs> <laughs> like, did we all grow up and realize that we have bills? Like, why did we stop? So, oh, so I stopped because the Marine Corps decided that I was too smart to be a musician and made me an avionics tech instead. Oh, my God. <laughs> they, changed, they changed my MOS in boot camp. Wow. I stopped because I realized that if I wanted to do, like, big film movie kind of stuff, I would have to move to either New York or L.A., and I didn't want to do that. I actually, um, like, I did a lot of, actually, a lot of dance in college, uh, but I also did software. And then, like, obviously, software pays a lot more than dance. Uh, so I kept doing it. But, like, I think I'm like everyone here. I actually enjoy the software for the software. And so that's what's kept me in it for so long. Um, although now, now I'm doing management. I'm not actually writing much software these days. But, you know, I feel like software is great because, you, like you said, you can do it, make a ton of money, and then go to something else that you enjoy more or that you really want to do. So it, 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 it's nice in that respect. But yeah, it's also interesting that there's so many people in it that are doing it nine to five and then they go do the thing they really enjoy afterwards. Yeah, no, it, it pays well and it pays to support like your actual dream. So it works out. Right. And I, and I do think that like a lot of the people in tech that I like, so as a recruiter, one of the things I always enjoy is like, yeah, well, how did you get into this field? And I think that the trend is that none of like most people don't actually intend to get into software engineering, but they have all these like this array of skill, talent, interests that actually make them much better at their jobs or make it feel like, you know, I can come here, do this work, put, pick it up, put it down. And then I have like the emotional and sort of like, like the bandwidth to go do the things that I really love. Whereas if I was doing that other thing I love, I might get burnt out, mm-hmm. you know? So I always find that that's an interesting Specifically, it seems like in tech that I admire about people, that they have the ability to do that. Paris, you've mentioned a couple of times about acting and being on set, and I can tell how much you love it because of the tone of voice that you have when you talk about it. And now we're like kind of talking, getting into like people's real passions and like how tech supports that and stuff. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about like what got you into acting and like what you love about it. Yeah, so I'm going to say it started with home videos. My mom has so many home videos of me just doing what I do. And, like, I was always part of the drama class ever since, like, middle school. Um, I was always in the plays. I was always main character. I was doing that. 
and then high school came and I really got into YouTube and so I was doing videos and I don't know, I, I always really loved it. And once high school came, that's actually like when I started getting bullied a lot. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to show them once I graduate, I'm going to like get into my top university and become an actress. So I literally, I did get into my top university in New York. So I moved there to become an actress. And then that's where, no, I didn't. I lied. I went there to, for film and screen studies. I lied, but I wanted to be an actress too. But when I went to New York, that's when I realized I was like, everybody wants to be famous. Like everyone wants to do this work. I was like, okay, like, let me go to LA, go to LA. It's even worse. Literally, first of all, I saw like 80 people who looked just like me. So I was like, okay, it's going to be really hard to make it in this industry. And so like, it kind of like killed my dream a little bit. But I, I've still like always really loved it. But I don't think it's one of those things I want to pursue like, full time to get in front of the camera. And that's when I started loving just simply being on set. I was like, Oh, my God, like, I, just, I love just watching. Like, because I just think it's so cool. I really enjoyed being a background actor on set because you get to see the actors walk by and how they build these things. And uh, it's just like this vibe. Another thing I loved was watching, I, I would go on YouTube and I would buy like the extra DVDs for movies. They don't do that anymore, I don't think. But um, DVDs for movies, they would come with like, you know, watch the bloopers and, and you know, how we put all this together. I would watch that more than the actual movie. I would watch it for hours and hours. I'd go on YouTube and watch behind the scenes of all my favorite movies. I just loved I Everything was just so amazing behind scenes. It's just so fun, like seeing humans in this amazing job. Um, and that's what I fell in love with, really. I don't, I didn't, I just want to realize, like, I don't think I want to do acting. I just want to, like, be there, you know? I relate to that a lot about watching the behind the scenes stuff. I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always like that feeling, that sense of, of knowing what's going, like, like, for example, if you're, if you work at a theme park and, and you know what all the trails are behind the scenes and how they set up the things and, like, even then when you're attending or whatever, you, you still know all the stuff that's going on yeah. as, as part of supporting the, the facade of, of the experience. Like I really always have enjoyed having that experience. I think it, it came, I can't even remember that back in like high school because my parents were faculty at the school. So I got to go into the places that most of the students never got to go and talk to people in a different way. And so I always had that sense of being on the inside a little bit. Right. And, and and having that knowledge of, of, of more about how things operate. And, and that's always very satisfying to me. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting because I've had people ask me before, like, oh, you know, you know a lot about, I was going to do like film editing um, was what I was studying in school. And they're like, oh, you know a lot about like cinematography and editing and how that stuff gets done. Like, doesn't that like ruin watching movies for you? Because like, that's what you're thinking about when you're watching them. And like, I guess I get why people ask that, but I'm like, not at all. Like, it's great. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I do that too. I'm like, oh, like I'll point things out, and like I'm sure it's really annoying to people, but I'm like, but I <laughs> did that, like, and I, I I even do that now as someone like who used to be a software engineer. I'd be like, oh, I know what they use. Oh, they use these people. Like, I just know all these things, and I know it's annoying to people. I got a GraphQL error in the wild on Facebook the other day, and I was like, look at this GraphQL error, and all my friends were like, I don't care about that at all. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's interesting though, because as, as we're talking about these things about like kind of understanding how the sausage is made and understanding where, you know, what goes into the things in increases our enjoyment on it, right? To, to kind of bring this back a little bit. It's like when, when I see 
marginalized people, especially black folks, succeed in tech. I mean, I'm happy for my friends when they do well, but I am over the moon for my black friends, for black women, for black trans women, for anything like that when they succeed because I know what all it took. Mm. I understand the things they had to go through to get there. And it's not the same as everybody else. And so me having understand because I have that common experience to understand that what it took to get there, I am like, yes. And so like, if you do get that high paid job at Google, look like, yeah, man, look, fuck Google, but yes, get that back. Right. Right. Um, Because I know what it took to get to that point. And a lot of people don't appreciate that, especially if they don't have the common experience because they don't understand it's not just about knowing the code, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just about getting the interview. It's so much more to even get to that point to get that. So if you go to the Google, if you go to even Facebook, or whatever they call themselves now, and you get that bag, I'm happy you get that bag because I understand what it took to get there. Right, yeah. And you understand like how it's going to change their lives dramatically. Um, and that's like the most exciting, like anytime I see someone just got their first, like someone from black to Twitter, anytime I see that, you know, they just got their first job or whatever it is. I'm like, I am so excited that you're about to start this life changing journey. Cause I was on it too. Like, I know it's like, ah, uh, it's so exciting. And you just, you know, they're going to have these super amazing experiences that they probably wouldn't have been able to have had they got a job, like a, a nine to five, I don't know, as like an administration person or something like, you know, it is the the financial aspect of it is life changing. It's exciting. Yeah. It's like, I remember the first time I ever flew first class. I'm I was the only first person, that. first person in my family, in my whole family to ever fly first class. Right. Yeah. And I remember texting my parents and my parents cried uh, because their kid got to fly first class and people don't, people don't understand what all goes into that? They're like, oh, you're in first class. So, yeah, like somebody on Twitter the other day came at me sideways for mentioning I was in first class. I'm like, you know what? Motherfucker, I am going to talk about being in first class. Right. Because ain't a lot of people like me in first class. You go and hear about it. And I don't care right. if it bothers you. You're just yeah. going to have to be bothered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah get over it. That's, it's a big deal. People don't realize that. Like, it is. It's a big deal. Again, these are experiences that we might not have ever been able to have, but luckily we got into this industry and we became successful in it. And like, like I said, it's life changing and we might be the first ones in our family to experience these sort of things. And I would hope we're not the last, but that's a big possibility, unfortunately, you know? So it is. And I think you should talk about it and who cares, you know? Can I tell you how much I love? You're just going to have to be bothered. I'm like, (laughs) I'm keeping that one. Oh no, it's, it's funny because I've I've had to read somebody in person, and it's like you're just gonna have to be bothered, and it goes like <laughs> if I could turn that into a t-shirt or whatever, just be bothered. I would wear that t-shirt. <laughs> turn it into a. I love that t-shirt for a gift, whatever. Yeah, because I mean that's what we do. People people come at us sideways for all kinds of stuff like that, like you know whether whether it's been our hair. Whether it's been the way we dress, whether it's because of code switch to back how we really talk instead of having the code switch to that white professional talk, whatever it is, you know, we say y'all, you know, we eat, we eat spicy, whatever it is, people come at us sideways and I'm not apologizing anymore. Mm-hmm. Good I'm for not, you. you know, and again, that's something I've always appreciated about you, Paris, is that you don't apologize for that. You just, you don't like it. I'm not even sorry. You're just going to have to be bothered by it. Yeah. I just tell people to unfollow me or block me. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paris, one of the questions I have for you is just like, in this journey, what has been the most surprising thing you've learned? I, it's not really something I learned. 
because there's a lot of things I already knew, especially just working with employers, working with, you know, like really teaching white people about diversity, equity, inclusion, like, like certain responses I've gotten, like, it's not surprising to me or anything. Um, maybe like things within my own community, you know, but that doesn't really surprise me either. I think it's maybe like the experiences I've had, you know, but coming from my own community, anything happening within my own community is more like shocking or more, I just feel more, you know, when it's from my own people, but I'm also like, this happens in every community. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, but of course, like this is my community. So it affects me more. And then the other question that maybe this will help to like prompt that too, but I'd like, for me, it's been a lot to experience and to hold. And sometimes I feel like I don't want to do it anymore, but I look for things that sustain me or things that inspire me. So I'm curious, what, what are those things for you right now in this season? Like just getting, so I follow, there's, I think it's called bot black tech. It's a Twitter account and they retweet all these hashtags, including the black tech Twitter one. So I get to see like every, and anytime someone's hashtag black tech Twitter, I see like what that announcement is. And I just get so I get happy seeing that people are just asking questions to Black Tech Twitter. Hey, how how should I build this? Hey, I did that. Like, I love seeing that. I just love seeing that the community has grown. I love knowing that people don't know how Black Tech Twitter started because that just shows the progress. It means like the community has grown like a ton. And that's the whole point, right? You want it to continue expanding. And later on, people will find out the origin story of it. But that's not the priority. The priority is that like there are just more people here now. And that's what's most exciting. And I think that's just what really keeps me doing this work because I never wanted to do what I'm doing now. I never wanted to do it. I actually promised myself I wouldn't do this work yet. I'm here. But seeing like all the good that's come from it, I'm like, wow, like this is really, really dope. I feel really blessed and lucky. And yeah, it, it just makes me very happy. That's dope. And do you ever give thought about like if you ever want to step away or you need to step away? how this would proliferate, how it would continue to grow and evolve with or without you? Like, have you given any consideration to that? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I would want to do this forever, but I know I would want it to stay around forever. Even if I'm not the one running it, I'd love to hand it off to someone else. And that's something like we're thinking about now, because I think the issue with like Black Tech Pipeline is that the business, if I were to die or something, like that would be it for Black Tech Pipeline. And that's not a good business model. Like it needs to be able to run with or without me. And so that's something we're currently figuring out right now, um, how to make that happen. Um, and as for the community on Twitter and, and the, the social media period, it's fine. Like there's no face to Black Tech Twitter. It just, it's a community and it's good. It's, it's set for life. I'm glad you're given that consideration. I, I thought about the same thing and I'm always here. Like if you ever want to chat about it or just have a like jam session about it, I'm, I'd love to be in community with you and, and sort of help you explore what that would be. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Of course. There's something really beautiful about doing something that you care so much about that you feel like you want to worry about what will happen to it, even if like you weren't there for it. Yeah. No, this is like, this, this is like necessary. Again, like Black Tech Twitter and Black Tech Pipeline have created like an immense impact. It has to continue, especially for the Black community. Like it has to continue no matter what. And, and whoever's like turning that wheel, it shouldn't matter. Like that shouldn't, like I said, there shouldn't be a face or just one person or one designated area. It just needs to be like decentralized. And so, yeah, like any, in any community, 
that there's so many like different communities and companies that have grown out of like the black tech Twitter movement. And I hope they're thinking of the same thing. Like it has to run forever. This is extremely important, especially like digitally. It's perfect. Like must continue forever. So I guess with that in mind, what are you going to say to the next generation? Right? Let's say, say somebody calls on you to give the commencement speech at Howard. And there's always that quotable. What do you want to tell the up and coming folks, the folks who are going to take up your work? That this cannot ever be personal. I, th- I think like the number one most important thing to me is not being afraid to say no and not being afraid to, again, like lose opportunity. I think like that is so important because so many people can be swayed by money and we cannot, I cannot stress this enough. This cannot happen in the black community period. Like we cannot be swayed by money. I, I don't want to take money and then need to be silenced or follow someone else's rules that don't benefit my community or impact it negatively. We can't be swayed by that. Like we have to do what's best for our community. And that's number one and money or just that sort of like benefit, even if, if I don't know if it's monetary or not, you can't be swayed by that. And like that takes hiring like really good humans, like really genuine, good, strong humans, which is really, really hard. But I think for me, like, that's the most important thing. really appreciate that. It makes me, I'm, I'm having a reflective, like, thing, but I actually want to save it. And so I want to prompt us to move to reflections if it's okay. And I'm willing to go first because what you just said really elicited something in me. And what I heard you say, Paris, is that we need, one, as a black community, a black and brown community, solidarity, and, like, also shared values and vision. Like, we have to be on the same page about what, what we care about and also what we want people to understand about our experience and why we're so valued and why we are that token of the, of the month or year or era. And I think that like, that means that we need to be intentional about community and just building a container and having culture around what is, what we are now and who we want to be in the future. And I've been giving myself a lot of time and space to really think about time as a spiral, like connecting with my ancestors, connecting with the present and connecting with the future. And just remembering that like, I can, I can heal all of those parts if I'm present and I'm in community with people who understand that, that we have an opportunity together. So again, extending like the olive branch and just saying like, I'm hoping that we can be intentional about building community and anybody who might catch this episode today, like let's build community intentionally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what's what's coming to me is the the rather remarkable impact that you like an individual person can have on the culture, really, right? Like you you started this sort of organically out of just what you were seeing and the way you were talking, and and now you've built this into a company that you're running, and now you're working on how to like make sure this company is you know, perpetuates itself, you know, even without your work. And, and so you're creating an institution here that, that's, you know, generating all this opportunity for your community. And I think that's an amazing amount of power that you've harnessed there just with your own caring, like the, the, that you put this time in to build something and that you're going to eventually build something that, that can run for however long it needs to run. 
Um, and, and that's, that's absolutely amazing. Absolutely remarkable that, that one person can start that and then, and, and bring more people in. It's not just you doing the work, but you're guiding that work and collecting and focusing it and, and making it into something that is going to have this fantastic impact. So just amazing to see one person can do that. Thank you. Yeah. I'm telling the community, like none of this would happen if like each individual within this community, like didn't like really bring exposure to it and care about it and bring awareness to it the way that they did. So it's like a collective effort and a collective care and love for the community and its members. Yeah. I keep kind of coming back to this. My brain keeps coming back to like, you're just going to have to be bothered because I love that so much, but it's kind of got me thinking like this whole conversation has gotten me thinking about like, it's really meaningful to be able to like listen to you all talk about your experiences in like the black community in tech And it's striking to me how, like, some aspects of it, like, resonate with me as someone in the trans community. Like, what Tim was saying about, like, people will come at me and, like, I feel that. But then there's, like, other aspects of it that, like, are are not the same and, like, I hadn't thought about in the way of, like, like, generationally. Like, I my parents aren't trans and they didn't have this experience. And it's not this kind of pathway of time where that kind of marginalization is happening. And so I think it's really interesting and important to think about the ways that different marginalized communities like share some things and not other things, because I think that's what we really have to like understand and internalize if we're going to have different intersectionalities of marginalized folks like coming together to like build community together. And I think that that's really important. So I think it's important for us to have these conversations because people who are not black do not understand the black experience and the black experience in America has always been difficult. Uh, the doors have not always been open to us. We have not had warm welcomes. We've had our time, our freedom, our money and our land stolen from us from the jump. So we are getting now to a point where we can establish ourselves a little bit and you've got forces and powers in this country who are trying to cover their tracks on what they've done to us so that they can do it again. So it's important for us to have these discussions so that people understand what the black experience is. And it's important for folks like Paris to do that work so that we can become established, so that we're not only just you know citizens, but we have influence with our money and our power and our position. So that the we as the fruits of the black experience can make sure that the black experience has changed for the better in this country going forward. And that is going to take us as black people helping each other and relying on, unfortunately, I'll just say not unfortunately relying on, but relying on folks who are not marginalized to recognize that we do need your assistance and your allyship and your being an accomplice to changing the black experience for the better in this country. Because if we don't, the people who want to change the black experience back to what it used to be, We'll win. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not here for that. I love accomplice instead of ally. I have to say it. That's like so good. That's such a good way to like describe the mindset that you want people to be in, in like a more descriptive way. Yeah. Yes. Thank I, you I like, for that, Tim. I like that. There's, um, what is it? Co-conspirator. There's like being an ally and a co-conspirator. And so, so my mom does DEI work full time. She's done it her whole life. So from what I've learned from her, she's like, for an ally, you know, they're there like saying like, yes, Black Lives Matter. Like they're doing very like subtle work. 
for a co-conspirator, they're like getting in front of the black person when a cop has a gun to their face. You know, they're like, do, do, do not pull that trigger. Like, this is wrong. Like, you know, you're like really in it, like actively. And so I always prefer a co-conspirator or accomplice. An ally will film it. An accomplice will jump in front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And it's important. We need, we need, we need all of them. We need every, everyone does play a part, but like if we're going to dismantle systemic and institutionalized racism and oppression, then that is what it takes is to have multiple people willing to play multiple roles. And you don't have to like stay in one. You can like change as your privilege power and, you know, your resource changes or, you know, maybe it increases over time because you do gain strength and understanding by being in community with people. Or maybe, you know, you have more money and opportunities. So you're like, yeah, I can fund this. But Paris, I'd love to hear your refl- your fl- reflection. Bring us on home. This conversation right here about like accomplice and co-conspirator and ally, just because like, I think like that conversation was really talked about when George Floyd was murdered, especially like on Twitter, on all there were just so many different expectations coming from like the black tech community. Then you have like tech Twitter, which is kind of like, you know, the, the more white tech community and just wishing that more things were being done or people not understanding their role or not understanding what to say and things like that. I like what you said about people being able to play their part and then, you know, maybe learning more and then growing into other roles. I think that's really important. For me, I always want people to like jump right in, right? Because that's what I have to do, period. It doesn't really matter. Like that's what I'm forced to do because I am Black. And so for me, like, I'm always like, you know, oh, I respect the people who are just like, you know, fuck you. This is what it is. And, you know, whatever. And for me, I'm more so like, I didn't like when people were like coming into my DMs like, hey, I don't know if I should say this. Should I say this? I'm like, I don't have time to educate you. Like, just just do what you want to do. Like, just say it, you know? But sometimes I'm like, sometimes I have to under, not that I have to educate them or take time to respond to them. But for me, I have to understand that people need to learn how to play which roles because maybe they're good at some versus others. And you're right. They can grow into other roles. And it's not something I've really thought about just because I'm, like I said, I'm one of those people who wants to jump right in. So I'm like kind of just reflecting on that. It's something like I'll continue talking about and thinking about and becoming more understanding of. Thank you. That's a perfect end cap to our conversation. I'll look for some, unless you have a favorite resource, but we can, I'll share some so that folks can have more learning to learn about the difference between what it means to be an ally and accomplice and a co-conspirator. Cause I think this is just beautiful and definitely needed. Yeah. Paris, thanks again for joining us today. We could continue the conversation. So we welcome you back if you want to come and have part two, but really appreciate all that you've said. And course all that you're building and doing for the black and actually the BIPOC tech community but specifically the black folks thank you so much